0: a kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working in the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion he was the closest thing new york had to a dirty harry this is one tough podcast on the og podcast network here's your host bo deedle Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here, like always, a man, Carlo, that's copying my suit. Close, but no cigar, Carlo. Uh, today, we got somebody here that I don't say lightly. I know he's a political figure, but more than that, he's one of my friends. And Eric Adams, the borough president of Brooklyn, former New York City police captain, former state senator, and soon to be, God willing, the next mayor of New York City and get rid of Big Bird. Welcome, Eric. Welcome Thank to you. the show. I, I pray for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a lot of people
0: do. Let's let's do the foundation for you now. You're, you're a lot lighter than when I, when I remember you. Uh, you're you're in good physical shape. They used to be obese like me, but now he's like he's in fighting weight and stuff.
2: How many pounds you lose? Uh, 35 pounds, you know, around 30, 35, you know, in that area. Feel good, too. You know, it was a real story, and it's really impact all of your listeners and viewers, uh, because diabetes is well, widespread. I
0: lost, I lost my brother with that. Diabetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. It's,
2: it's real. It's the number one cause of blindness, the number one cause of non-limb amputations. amputations? Yeah. Um, number one cause, one of the top causes of kidney failure, heart disease. It's the foundation for all those diseases we hear about. Mm. And, and weight attributes to Yes, it. yes. Weight attributes. Food, weight. And when I was diagnosed, you know, I lost my sight. The doctor said, you know, wow. Eric, you're going to go blind. And I had permanent nerve damage. They told me that I was going to lose some hands and some toes. Wow. And yeah.
0: you, re- you turned it all around.
2: In three weeks after switching uh, my, my, you know, the food, uh, lifestyle medicine, in three weeks, my vision cleared up. Three months later, my nerve damage went away. Uh, my body just went through a complete transformation. I had an ulcer. The ulcer went away. No whoa, whoa, medicine. Whoa, whoa, no This medicine. is like,
0: you're like, uh, you, did you write a book
2: about this? It's so funny. Yes, we are right now. Oh, now not to me, and that's house. about the most important thing <laughs> right
0: here. If you can save people's lives, right. like I said, I right. lost my right. my best friend, my brother, not only in January, diabetes. People don't realize it is a killer, It man. really
2: is. And let, and let me share this story with you, which is powerful. My mother's 80 years old. She's She has been on insulin for... For seven years, diabetic for 15 years. She joined, she went to the same lifestyle medicine alteration. She's off all her insulin. She was on nine, nine medications. She cut those medications in half. She's doing much better. Because the the, the pharmaceutical industry, let me tell you. They they give you, they was given a medicine to keep up sugar down, medicine to (laughs) increase it, medicine to deal with her kidneys that the medicine was causing damage. It's just our loved ones and family members are really hooked on all these different drugs, you know. Wow,
0: that's not why he's here today, Carla. But (laughs) this story is as big as him becoming the next mayor. As far as I'm concerned, he can save people's lives. And to me, this story is as important as him being our next mayor. And 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 how good is it being our next? Mayor and getting into those schools Taking all that crap away from our kids So they don't become obese Mm. And and their health kids, I love it man
2: So so true and it's so funny you say that 70% Of 12 year olds have early Signs of heart disease, 70% Heart disease? Of 12 year olds The culprit lies In what we feed our children every day We feed, many children have Two meals a day in the school system And it really becomes the foundation of all the Meals that they consume And the food they're eating, we spend millions of dollars to fight childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. Yet we serve 960,000 meals a day that cause what? Childhood <laughs> obesity, childhood diabetes. And health, and then health care. Right.
0: And health care. It's
2: an endless battle. It's wow, wow, wow. Well, well, yes. I
0: gotta be open too, Carla. You know what I mean? I'm very transparent. Mm-hmm. I have contributed and I will contribute more to the campaign of Eric <laughs> Adams to become the mayor. And I have to be very open with our listeners. Uh, I am very partial to him and, uh, the Stringer has got no, no balls, no brains. And the other one there that wants to be the guy from the city council couldn't shine Eric's ball back. <laughs> For the fact is, Eric has worked his way. And that's what we want to, I want to prelude into. Prelude. What's the word? Prelude. No, what's the word? When you go into something, proceed. No, there's another word. You went to college. Give me the friggin' word, right? <laughs> Segway? Yeah, yeah segue. Segway. I like that. Segway's that thing you ride around on, no? It's,
1: that's spelled a different <laughs> way.
0: Okay. So now we're going to go right right into right into a foundation. Because obviously when you grew up in Brooklyn, which I know you did. I grew up in Ozone Park, neighboring right by City that's Line. That's uh, You weren't thinking about your health. You were young like I was. We were, we were doing eating, uh, white castles, whatever the hell we could eat. Uh, I love Kentucky Fried Chicken. I love everything. Everything. So we were eating like animals, but I want the foundation of your life growing up in Brooklyn because that's really basically part of where you are today. And so the reasoning why you want to be the next mayor of the greatest city in the world, and let's go. You grew up where? Uh, I grew up in Brownsville, Brooklyn. You know, an amazing story. Had
2: an amazing mother. And mom, when we grew up in 1218 Gates Avenue. In Brooklyn, I know well. Right down the block uh, from Broadway. We used to, We used to think that the Broadway down the block was where Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> was. It was. It was a great rude awakening to me that that wasn't the same Broadway. And it was a rough time. You know, you probably oh, yeah. were on the streets. No, no, I was childhood. on the street. Right. I was
0: a homicide detective in Brooklyn in the 70s, early 70s.
2: Yeah, no, it was difficult. Yeah. It was really yeah. difficult. And mom just had this vision. You know, Bo, I'll never forget one day we used to go upstairs in this four-story tenement, a rat-infested tenement, and just, you know, just a terrible place. And we used to meet upstairs with all the other tenants and play, um, cards, spades. Yeah. And mom was playing spade one day and mom said, listen, I'm, I'm not raising my children here. I'm going to move out and we're going to move to Queens. And so they could have a house. And everybody laughed at her. And it was like a running joke all night. Every time someone won a hand, that a was car. like
0: that was like the next step, <laughs> right? To get out of to get out of that <laughs> the <right>. crime ridden area <laughs> to get right.
2: the next step, the Queens, right? And so she and I remember, I remember crying because everyone was teasing her, and she said, don't worry, son, we, we're, going, we're going to move out here." So she. Went a thousand. Well, where was she working then? She was cleaning office space. So she was working her butt off for you kids. She was. Where was Papa? You know, when he came home, you know, he was from the times of playing numbers and being. He was a little absentee uh, landlord. (laughs) Mama
0: was in control.
2: Solid, solid, solid mother. Amazing, and so about a thousand. Uh, cleaning of this law firm. She used to clean the offices at night. She would take the J train to the wow. office at night and just iron other people's clothing. I used to iron. We used to have this old iron that you put on the stove. And heat it up. Right. Yeah, I, and I, I was the tester. I got that, <laughs> I got that one. And so mom finally saved enough for a down payment to in a house in South Jamaica, Queens. Mm-hmm. And so she went to the closing. The attorney from the bank was at the closing, was the same attorney she used to clean his house. Wow. So he says, what are you doing here, Dorothy? She said, this is my house. Wow. Whoa, they did the could... closing. She goes to his house, to clean for the day. When she finished cleaning for the day, he fired her. What, what a he jerk. He says, who do you think you are? No. <laughs> Buying a house. No, Bull. Are you kidding? Kid you not. Where's this
0: guy? I'll punch him right in the face <laughs> right
2: now. She says, son, I went in, in the train station. And the trains went by and I just stood there and yelled and cried and screamed. I got it all out of me. And I said, I have a house. I have to figure out how to keep this house. Wow. And that was the energy of who she was as, as, a, as a woman. Six wow. children. Wow.
0: Six children. And so this is the real foundation is your mother. Watching her. And, and, grinding. And, uh, Yeah, I I hope she's still with us. Yes, she is. Well, you know why I want her with us? Because I want to stand next to (laughs) you when we swear your ass in as mayor of this city. Because I want to go over there and I'm going to give a big kiss on her cheek. I'm going to say, you know, Ma, you are responsible for this man becoming mayor. She
2: she is. And and, and there there were so many bends in the road. And a bend in the road is not the end of the road as long as you make the turn. You know, you go back to 1975, I was arrested in the 103rd precinct, arrested for burglary of my brother and and I. And I remember her coming to the precinct and mommy, I heard, her, I couldn't see it, but I heard her. And mommy said, you know, I want to get my sons. And they said, you know, leave them. He'll never be anything. And mommy said, I'm not giving up on my on my sons. And... To see that day I got promoted captain in that police department, looking down at my mother in that audience. Wow.
0: You, you, it ain't it ain't over, Eric. Right. We're going we're going another we're going another step. <laughs> it ain't over. So now what all right, so you got a little trouble, because I got in trouble too. Right. The only contact I had was when I was 12 years old, sitting in a park after dark and some big Irish cop coming there. He didn't say a frigging worked to me. The little green car with the bubble gum on top. And all of a sudden he walks over and he whacked me. I still got the indentations in my shins. And he whacked me and I, I'm limping. I'm running home. And all of a sudden I get home. My father was born in Germany. My mother's Sicilian, Italian. And he used to beat the living shit out of me with a belt buckle if I looked wrong at my mom. Mm. And it was a tough piece of work, but he knew... I was troubled to right. keep trouble in line. <laughs> I grew up with Gotti and Scopo and all the gangsters, but I had to go straight. Right. Otherwise my old man would be beaten. He told me he'd be home at 8.30. <laughs> I had to be home at 8.30. So now I go limp on my father's ear. He goes, what happened to you? I said, nothing, nothing. He starts beating the shit at me, slap me around. He says, what happened? I said, well, well I was sitting in the park and the cop. That's all I had to say. He continuously beat me for about an hour after that. We used to have a bathtub on, on legs. I, it was a space about three mm. inches. To squeeze in there, <laughs> right. he beat my ass. With FD was his initial Frank Deddle. Right. He used to beat me in my ass. I had an FD. I probably still have marks on my ass. <laughs> but you want to know something? I was a tough damn yeah, kid. Yeah. I was a tough kid. I needed. I, I'm like one of those stallions. Doubt, you got to keep him, keep him right, in check. Right, right. Not about both, It's about you. So now you you get in trouble. You don't have your own man to beat the shit out of you. So now you look at your mother's eyes and she's saying to yourself, "She don't have to say nothing." She's looking at you like I'm busting my but for you and your brothers That's right. That's and to right. make to because That's that right. must have hurt you more to beat
2: it did i went on a mission that you know to put her in that situation yeah. You know, and that was my, that was the wake-up call that I said, you know, I'm never going to put her in that position again. So you start working, I hope. Grinding, grinding. Start I, I doing that everything. Term, my, my team tells you right now, and that's the only term I know is grinding. Grinding. <laughs> now, what did you start doing? What kind of work did you Go start Go just in school? school. I was always academically sound in yeah. school, but like you said, the streets are attractive.
0: Yeah, well, it's also, it's it's also peer pressure. It is. Yeah, I mean, it you're is. hanging out with guys and the guys are doing, come on, Eric, yeah, don't be yeah. a
2: punk Come
0: on, Eric. There you go. Come on. There you, go. There you on. go. And that's the real talk. Oh, no, that's no, no. I, I know. Right. I grew up with it, but I had the other side. Right. I had Don Coglione's <laughs> over there. Right. What's the matter? You got no balls? Bo, we're going over to Idlewild Airport. Yeah. They got some uh, knits. They got some cashmere Italian knits. Right. Come on. We're going to off them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, I got to go home. My home, they beat the living shit out of me. And that's the only reason why I'm sitting here today. No, we and all And I didn't become do. one of those because I was worried about that at home. Then Nazi guy. But that experience made you a great cop. Well, I have very big compassion for everyone. And one of the things that's important, we're going to go right back into what we started, was when I was investigating the last case, the Palm Sunday Massacre, 10 dead, 8 children shot in the head back Mm. in 84, Mm. Liberty Avenue, 1080, Liberty Avenue. I found three young black boys who were in an apartment completely naked, feces all over them. Mm. So I go in there, the door was ajar. I walk in there, I'm looking for a witness on a, on a mass murder and a, so, this, uh, Lieutenant Herbie Holmans called me, where are you, Deedle? <coughs> At 10-1, I said, look, I, I'm doing so. I get back, he's, where the hell were you? So, I waited for the mother to come back from the store. There was no money, there was no food in the refrigerator. And I said to the lady, she had forced the kid, they were forced to, I said, I'll be back here every week. I says, if these kids ain't cleaned up, and they ain't got no food in that refrigerator. I said, I'm taking them out of here. Mm. And the Bureau of Child Welfare will have these kids. Mm. This is not gonna happen. Right. So I get back to the squad room, Herbie Homer starts yelling at me, Where are you? I said, I had three kids, they were left alone. He goes, You're a friggin' homicide detective. <laughs> I said, That's the problem. Right. No, because these three kids, who knows if that changed their lives. That's right. That's and you know right. what? Those You're three right. triplets in eighty four how old are they now, Carlo? If they were if they were nine years old then?
1: In the early forties, I guess.
0: That old, maybe one of them's a cop and maybe one of them's a that's fireman. Right. Right. Maybe one of them's a good father. Maybe they're all good fathers and that little sequence may have changed Without their life. Without doubt. And, and you know, when that's, that's part of
2: the story that you don't hear about policing. Mm. You know, yeah, there are those who do things that are wrong. But when you look at the countless number of stories, cops who are on the ground, who paid for someone's rent who was there during the Christmas time. Like, even when um, you had the assassination of the two cops in Brownsville on Tompkin Avenue, many people don't realize the cops from the 8-4 precinct and uh, these, I believe, the 7-9 precinct, they went on and still bought toys for those children and gave them out, even after they had those officers that were assassinated. And there's
0: not enough of that. The only time that makes the papers is when there's a negative thing and there's so many interactions with cops Millions of interactions every day across the country and only the highlight of a negative thing against the cop. It's like a war on cops, no matter what. And then when you see and you try to digest the two Asian cops walking along, getting water poured on their head and they walk like two robots. I, I mean, that took my heart and soul. Oh, man, it was painful. And I talk to cops every day painful. out mm. there. And you know, we always got, we got good, we got bad, but The overall overwhelming amount of these cops are good people that took the job like I took the job and you took the job to help people. Right. Without a job. So your foundation now, so you were good in school. You were academic. I was the jock strap. I was was national champion, high bar, parallel bar, physical fitness champion of every school in America, number one. I used to do 40 pull-ups, 180 pushes. Wow, wow,
2: wow. wow. But I got
0: a 68 average. I couldn't even freaking, uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I hated homework. I hated school. Right. I was good. All I wanted to be was a gym teacher. You know the problem is? Mama... And Papa didn't have the money. Mm. So I started working as a slave, mm. a concrete laborer. That was a slave. <laughs> and, I mean, 17 years old, you you're, uh, you got the, the concrete buggy passing three-by-fours and uh, four-by-sixes and plywood on these construction sites on the edge of buildings. I saw four guys going over. Mm. Then I worked mm. as an iron worker on mm. the World Trade Center. And I said to myself, it was so cold. I said, I had taken the cop test as a goof. I don't want to be no freaking cop. <laughs> I walked in there when I was 16 years old I showed, uh, it was a walking test. I was 16. They showed a clock. What time is it? Duh. So I got like a 99. I mean, I was a moron and I got a 99, so imagine the other morons. So I mean, that was it was kind of easy, to right. be honest with you. So now when they finally call me back, Eric, they say, now I'm freezing my nuts off on Tower A, Tower B downtown, World Trade Center. And I says, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And I never wanted to be a cop. Mm-hmm. The only interaction I had with a cop was getting my Beat right, him with right, a nightstick, right, man. Right. And I didn't like cops, and I thought they were scumbags because I didn't do nothing wrong. And right. I got hit with a nightstick. Hmm. But then, academy roof. I saw a guy going up a fire escape. I ran up the roof with gray, no gun, no badge. I climbed up the fire escape. I chased this guy five blocks, headlock. This is this is before you. Began- I was in the academy, gray <laughs> uniform. I grabbed the guy in the headlock, a la. Got a headlock, not the Headlock, right. not choke on the headlock <laughs> bring him down, punch him a couple of times. I did it, and I said, "Don't you move, man!" I didn't have a gun or a nut, Right, man. right. And the next thing is, he had two diamond rings in his pocket. He robbed of the apartment, and the cops all came. and I'll never forget. It was like, wow, I can I can help people, mm, and that mm. was the like epiphany was right, it called right, right. It. <laughs> i had an epiphany yeah and then from that i i just love to help people That's what it's store about. owners in east Harlem when they're being terrorized by savage skulls the seven immortals i was in the i started anti-crime the citywide anti-crime was one of the original how, how many
2: years on before you went LKC? oh i was in
0: plain clothes right away i was in uniform for uh, in a 110 for about a month and a half then we had the BLA was killing cops then. Mm-hmm. So we would f- show up in civilian clothes and follow the radio cars against ambush. Mm. So we used to, we used to bring shotguns and shit. You could bring anything you want then and you would follow the police cars because they thought they were going to get ambushed. Right, right, right. So then also they said, this, this is kind of cool. So the next thing is they take me out of there and I'm in uniform and I have a lot of young guys and we were at Elmhurst, all the Colombian cocaine Scumbags were there. Shootings and everything. So then I used to say to the guys, hey, listen to me. They're selling this cocaine down here. They got guns. How about we put guys on a roof? We got the radio. And I said, well, signal whoever you see selling this shit. We were narcotics. Very we were a beautiful <laughs> cop. I put a sweatshirt on. We're starting to lock up everybody, guns and everything. And then Colangelo was my captain. Bob Colangelo, he, he became the chief of the detectives. So he come in there and he goes like this. Dito, what's going on with all these arrests? So the old timers go like this. We're in the back of the muster room. You had your name there. And they would have like one arrest for the whole year, and I would, be I, would, I had the graph up to the roof, and I'm up to seventy <laughs> felony arrests in two months. And then one old time Irish guy goes like this: "Hey kid, you're starting to piss me off. You're making us look bad." I says, "You do what you want to do." I said, "I want to, I want to help you. I want to be a cop. That right, right, That's right, why I came right, to right, do this thing." Right, right. right? Forty civilian complaints later, I got with well, my whole career, mm. never founded one. Mm. Never founded one. But when you lock up thousand guys, they don't yeah, come yeah. by the markets of Queensberry rules. Never killed one guy, Eric. I've been stabbed, I've been shot at. Guy stood from there to here, shoots at me five times. He throws a revolver down. He goes, You got me. I says, I got you, mother. I says, Your day just began. He ended up the hospital. But you know what? It was a different era. Right. Today you can't do what Bo did. But you know, I really feel as though I feel so sorry because I talk to cops every day. Mm-hmm. Their life and soul is taken on. What scares me is they're not enforcing our laws, and people are now realizing that they can get over. They can get over the cops because the cops ain't going to do nothing. And I think there's, there's going to be a time, and I just pray to God, that it ain't when you become mayor because that's what's going to happen, Eric. Mm-hmm. It's all going to pop. It's like a pimple that's real ready no, to
2: pop. It, I think you hit it on the head. Although we are one of the safe. Safest big cities on the globe. Uh, The reality is that it took something to get here, and my concern. I'm looking at those things that we put in place to become safe. They're being dismantled.
0: Well, you see, the arrests arrests are down like what,
2: thirty percent? Right. I I just I was reading that today, and it's a it's a concern. That you know the energy public safety is a prerequisite for prosperity. You don't prosper. Public safety is more than just, you know, not being a victim of a crime. As I tell people all the time, it's fear. economic stimulus package. And it's fear. Right. There's people right.
0: taking the subway who fear that guy looking at him. Now he's not even afraid of the cops. Right. So I mean, you know, that, that becomes anarchy there. And you just you really have to realize the mindset. People are moving out of New York City. No, they don't want to stay here. and you know a Again, what has happened, I don't know how you feel about the mayor. The mayor still gives you your budget over <laughs> Brooklyn. So I do realize you can't talk against Big Bird, but I can. My point is that there's a lot of negativity that's going on in the city, a lot of money being wasted, a lot, even with the, the mental illness side to me, is one of the areas to me most important. Because that homeless that we see, 60,000 homeless on our streets in New York City, I guarantee you 90% of them have mental illness. Oh, and we're not dealing number, with it. We're not helping number. them by arresting them. Right. You know, a cop goes over to the guy. Rah, they right. lock him up, put him in jail. What is that doing? You've got to help them. And that's why I'm a little pissed off about our first lady of New York City. $900 million for mental health and she can't explain what she did with the money. I got a problem with that. I want to help people who need help. Classrooms, you got a disrupted kid. Mm-hmm. You should be able to take that child out and help that kid. Don't let him disrupt 31 other kids, there's a lot of issues there that you're going to face as mayor. And the reality is, this is not a black city, Asian city, white city. This is everybody's city. No, man. You,
2: and I couldn't say it better. And that's that's at the heart of of why I am running. When we talk about, you know, as we finish this analysis of how to how to be successful in mayor, becoming the mayor, is that. I had the misfortune of policing in the city when crime was through the roof. We were Mm -hmm. were having 2,000 homicides Mm -hmm. a year, uh, almost 98,000 robberies, and an equal amount of felonious assaults. And we thought that it was a way of surrendering to crime. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were riding around, Bo, with, you know, no radio signs in our cars. You know, we had of basically um, benzy boxes. People yeah. don't remember those. They, they were, they, you were too young to remember that. <laughs> it was a place we used to carry the radio out of our Take car. Take the radio out of the car. And put it with this benzy box. So we got so tired of people breaking into the car. And we used to have this thing called club device. It wasn't a yeah, prestigious tool. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. And so what happened
0: is that we surrendered. And you probably know him, Jack Maple. Jack and I came on together. Okay. Love Jack, Jack you, Maple was... Uh, it was a real dynamic guy. We used to throw him out of the bar because he looked like a clown. He showed up at Marufi's. <laughs> He's that black and white uh shoes. Shoe. no, no, but he did a derby. <laughs> he would wear a derby, and then all of a sudden, when he was in uniform as a transit cop, he used to show up at Marufi's. He was, you know, very active, and he would show up with a patent leather belt. Adam 12 <laughs> was out on TV. I don't know if you remember Adam 12. He looked like a jerk off from LA. And we used to say, hey, I, hey Jack, we don't dress like that over here. You look like a clown. So, but Jack had one of the most innovative things that I've ever been. His comp style, right? Yeah. Right,
2: right. But see, what a lot of people don't know, They know me as a police officer, but I came into the police department. I was a computer programmer. I
0: used to write. I used to write. So you were part of the ComStat.
2: I was part of the team that wrote the first online transit police real-time crime fighting system. Were you a transit cop first? Transit. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Jack came to me and said, Eric, we can reverse crime in the city. Everyone laughed at Jack. Only one that believed him was Bill Bratton. And we were the team that wrote that first system that later became ComStat. And year one in the Transit Police, when we instituted uh, Jack's system, system, we went down, 30 I think, 36% in crime. Mm. Then when we went up to the New York City Police Department, instituted ComStat, First year, we went down 400 homicides, and you know the story. Yeah. It never went up again. Well, you
0: know, it's very simple. Comstat could be utilized in our housing sector. We're having so much problem. There you go. At, wherever there's a problem, you go and send the troops in there and eliminate the problem. There you and go. it was it's common sense, but yet no one thought of it except Jack thought of it, and it worked, and it, it eliminated a lot of the crime because if there was a rash of burglaries, send the anti-crime guys in there, start... Start stopping guys We had guns on the street, bring them in there, float the place, take the guns off the street. And look, at the searches come in question, but you're getting the gun off the street, pat them down. You can't even do that anymore. So that's another problem that we have that you do have weapons on the street that are not coming off. But see, and it's more than
2: when Jack figured out how to take the police department from being dysfunctional to functional. I realized he did more than just change the police department. He cracked the code on crime, but he also cracked the code on why our cities are failing. You've been all over this country. Yeah. All over the country, our cities are failing. Yeah. Our cities create crises. Then they create government to fight the crises that we create in the first place. Mm. And that's what we were doing in the police department. And so when Jack... When I saw what he did, I understood that if we want to go to the heart of turning around the city, you know what you have to do? You have to fix the agencies. That's it. Just- cities are dysfunctional because of agencies. If agencies are creating the crisis of another agency, then you're going to continue being this, this, this constant cycle. So let me give you a perfect it's example. It's like
1: exactly what we were talking about before. Uh, pharmaceutical industry, it's not really helping the medical problems. If you adopt a healthy lifestyle— we don't need that. Exactly. Cities are, you know, living things, too. Let me show
2: you how bizarre it is. And I've, I've been all over the country looking at different agencies, looking at different examples. And what's happening here in New York is the same across the country. Let's look at the Department of Education, which is one it's, of the... it in mm-hmm. the news lately. It's right. a lot of
1: controversy. But so
2: let me tell you Let me tell you what the Department of Education
0: is doing. <laughs> is that being headed by that Mexican jumping bean? That guy? <laughs> See, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, this no, is no, my no. podcast. We can, we're not politically correct. That's I, all. I, the
2: Department of Education is... It's failing three things. Yeah. Number one, it's causing our educational crisis because it's not educating children. We know that. But it's also causing a crisis for other agencies. It feeds our health care crisis. And know what else it feeds? It feeds our criminal justice crisis that we have, the Rikers crisis. Mm-hmm. 80% of the people at Rikers Island don't have a high school diploma or equivalency. One-third of the 18 to 21-year-olds year, year olds read below a fifth-grade reading level. And check out this number. Thirty to forty percent of them are dyslexic. Almost fifty-something percent have a learning disability. Mm. So, if we solve the education problem, we will crime to deal problem on, goes down. Right. And so when you have other people talking about closing Rikers Island, the, I'm the only one that's saying, listen, let's close the pipeline that feeds Rikers let's Island. Let's fix the problem. Exactly. Don't move the problem. Exactly. Right. And, and agency after agency, as I pointed out, the Department of Education is is feeding our children food that caused the health and health health in uh, hospital crises. Uh when you try to open a business or a company, the Department of Building makes it so complicated with bureaucracy that you can't open your your your, your company. So we feed the crises we in the city. We got a real
0: problem here. Right. Carla we got a problem. You know what the problem is He's too sensible. He's too sensible. He's not corruptible like the rest of them. He wants to help our children. He wants to help our city. He wants the the police department to communicate and get along with the community. It's too sensible. They're not going to like him because the special interest scumbags are all going to be out there, and they're all going to be feeding, feeding money, feeding money to get special interest done. You understand? He's too sensible.
2: And, you know, you know, you know what's really, really fascinating is that the I, this is deja vu for me because when people told Jack and Bill and the rest of us that crime could never be turned around, and we said, yes, it could. So when I hear people say, Eric, you have a good concept, but we can never get this city functioning, yes, we could. Yes, we this could. city can function, and I'm the only person – And citywide government or borough-wide government that has ever been part of an institution, an organization, or an agency that had a complete cultural change. No one else. No one else knows the potentiality of what this city could become because they don't believe it. I know it. We turned around crime. We made the city safe. We can, made our, we can have our children educated. We can make sure that homeless services are addressed. We can make sure that ACS issues are addressed. Yeah, and
0: part of, part of the thing, too, is one, when, I, when I stupidly ran for mayor, because I didn't even have a line. I couldn't even find my name on the ballot. They knocked me off the Democratic line, Republican line. But I didn't want to quit. I was an old quick guy. Part of the thing was, I said with ACS, I mean, we got cops retiring at 45 years old. How great... At fifty-one thousand dollars a year, ACS investigators. Let's hire, give them a waiver with their pension. Hire cops. Could the other ACS? Oh, I'm afraid to go in that building. Well, we'll get retired cops, right. female and males, to become our ACS, and they'll take a caseload and they'll deal with it. And they know how to do the they, thank they do you. Thorough, thorough thank investigation. Too much common sense again. Right. And the other one is real fast. Real fast to go not to go off that. I was a Fox News contributor twelve years. One of my big issues was the the murders rate in in Chicago mm-hmm. whereas it's a democratic run city and the murder rate is like i think it's up it's near some i think it's now about 7000 in the last 12 years this is 7,000 African-Americans, little seven-year-old Letitia sitting on a stoop, shot in the head. For some reason, no one wants to recognize that as being as bad as these mass shootings. To me, one at a time or 10 at a time, what is it different. And the whole thing is there's no attention. And this was our last president, Barack Obama's home city. There was an answer to it. Mm. And we solved it here in New York. Right. The majority of... Of those crimes are gangs, gang-related murders. And here's a very simple, and you'll understand where I'm going with it. I preached it out there and saying... All we have to do is use the federal laws, the federal RICO, criminal RICO, three or more involved in the criminal enterprise, whether it be murder, robbery, drug dealing, stolen property, start hitting them with federal things, put some undercovers in there, hit the warrants, take the guns off the street, have warrants in the house, get the guns out of the house. You'll see that murder rate go down. But you got to deal with it. You can't think it's going to go away if you don't do nothing with
2: it. And You know what's the most horrific part of it (laughs) is that the good people that sucked up in the culture of violence. Uh, uh, Chicago is a blemish, blemish on all of us. Absolutely. You know, how, how could the president come from a, a state where you had opened just a complete, threw your hands up on, on the,
0: violence, the violence? From your home city. Right. I told President Trump. To his face, Mm -hmm. I want to come out of the woodwork again. I'd like to be part of a task force to go into Chicago using federal RICO and bring in federal offices in there. Let's stop the murders in Chicago. Why can't we do that? But the funny thing is,
2: Bo, that it happens all over this country. You go to Liberty City in Miami. You go to what? Baltimore. Baltimore. Because if you go to all of these ages, these, all these these cities, you're going to see the same problems. The same problem. New York City is a microcosm of the dysfunctionality of government across the entire country. And if we get it right here, we can duplicate what we're doing here
0: that it will have a national impact. Just imagine, just imagine, Eric. Right now, we were able to do with this crime down, right. murders down. And with the negativity, and again, you don't have to speak up for it, I'll speak up for it, the the hatred of the police officers against this current mayor, they do not like him. I talk to cops every day, they hate him. But my point is, with a mayor there, which they hate, and we're able to bring the crime down, imagine having a mayor like Eric Adams as our mayor, <laughs> where the cops will love you because you are one of us, mm. and you feel it, and you know it, you bleed it, you bleed blue like I bleed blue. I'm still a cop in my heart, uh, and I'll pull we, my car over. Be. I'll pull Double my car over head. right now if right. somebody is in trouble, right. and I I take action. My point is, imagine having a mayor like you, man. You would have the police department be hugging and kissing you. But love is love
2: comes in different forms. And number yeah. one, love needs to be appreciated. You know, um, how do we have police officers making forty eight percent an hour? Less than Nassau and Suffolk County. No way it should uh, be thirty something percent less than the other neighboring counties. Even Department of Correction, uh, the Boulders, as we call them. How we treat the men and women mm-hmm. in the Department of Corrections around variable supplement, around the conditions that they're that they're in, and even just civil service employees, employee, mm-hmm. employees, our teachers. People talk about police. My daughter's a
0: teacher. the right. South Bronx, and uh, my very daughter up. It's very, very difficult, and it's very difficult when you have unruly. Kids and now the problem is again is with the the structure of the board of education. Again, when you start if you're white need not apply no it's not white it's not black it's not Asian. you've got to have even playing ground for everyone because you have a teacher that's been giving her life say for 25 30 years and she happens to be white now you can't put her on a second level she's in there for a reason or he's in there because they want to teach children give them the tools if you have a disruptive mentally uh, challenged student then you should be able to remove them from the classroom into a classroom where you'll have a teacher to help that child. Don't just take them out, or don't wait them to get out of school, and get locked up. No, that's what's going to end up happening.
2: Yeah, and, and and you know, you could have a lot of criticism, which I know you do, about uh, Kamranza. The, uh, the, the police, the, you got to tell me the, when you become
0: mayor, police. That's got to be <laughs>
2: right. part of the deal. Let me, but let me tell you, we something. got good people me, here in New York. No, we, and we do. Yeah. We need to search the best people. Thank and you. I, what I've learned to do is know when people' heart is in. a right place i may not disagree with what they're doing but our children must come first and i believe his heart is in in the right place like some of the things we're doing around today we had a an amazing um, uh meditation see oftentimes we think about uh, children behavior we think of them only academically but some of these children by the time they get in the classroom they've They've experienced PTSD. Sure. And, home. and if you don't start doing things to allow them to deal with that trauma, sitting in the classroom, learning how to read and write and multiply when you're divided, you have to start addressing the pain. We have to change academics in this city. Let me tell you something that's very interesting. You know, as part of my uh, recovery effort, our school system is wrong. We're not with the science. Eighty percent of a child's brain develop between the ages of zero to, to three. Now, if 80 you, 80%, percent to three years yeah, 80% old. Eighty percent between you know zero that to
1: three. I didn't know
2: that. Yeah. Between zero to three, they get 80 percent of their neuron growth. Their, brain, their brains grow during that period of time far beyond all their life, lifestyle. So preschool is good. But no, preschool, the way we have it, is not good. Because, you know,
0: you know, when we get in contact with children, when they're three and four. Ah, uh, so so they keep they. In other words, they're not teaching them shit that is helping them with the preschool. Which by the time they I get, could say that. by the time they get to. 3 if you just
2: if that's your formal introduction to education at 3 years old you already miss 80% of their brain development wow. now if you came from an affluent community you're going to get that brain development between the ages of 0 to 3 but if you come from some place where you don't understand the power of that your child your child is starting out already far behind your competitor and you never catch up Wow. So so we I, I'm going to France to look at their school system because they're doing something different. They're taking children at six months old really? and start to be part of developing the brain of the child wow. because well, they're going with the science. Well, that's,
0: that's something I just learned about. 80% of the neurons in your brain the first three years of life. It's unbelievable. So, uh, I it. mean, if that's the facts, if that's scientifically proven, we better get our asses on and those kids. And we're not doing it. See, we, we are, we are. And then, you know what? We could take that one step further, Eric. Mm-hmm. We could take that with hate. Right. Eliminate hate.
2: Right, right, right.
0: Eliminate the, the, the thought of hate. Right. And train that little mind to say. To love. Love everybody, man. <laughs> Love everybody. I love that. that. That's the period where they're
2: ready to be developed. We develop our children at that age, the way they think, their behaviors, the way they act. And neurologists are very much engaged in this, and pediatricians are engaged in, the, engaged in this. The Department of Health needs to play a more important role in the Department of Education because pedi- pediatricians
0: and uh, neurologists, they're aware of this. This so, is not new science. So what did you gather for this whole thing? <laughs> We're going to round this sum- summarization. It comes back to health, mental health, physical health, all controls what future is going to be with brain power, education with crime, where you, a criminal mind could go one way or the other way, but it'll go the good way because of the way you train that mind at that infancy period, plus what you're ingesting to become a fat slob <laughs> like me instead of a trim man like this. It all has a bearing on me taking my stupid pills they give me. He don't take them, and look how healthy he looks. So it all comes to education the more you learn. Did you learn anything
1: today, Cole? I did. The health of the population contributes to the health of the city. Let me tell
0: you why, why,
2: why correct you are. The term is called social determinants of health. They are now discovering that the social determinants of health is based on your education, is based on where you live, is based on what you eat. We've ignored those social determinants. Mm. So what you just said is so right. Wow. The length of a person's life and the quality of their life is based on education and all of those other social environments. And if we don't go after the, those social environments that causes the social determinants of health to be less, we will never fix, fix the problem.
0: So our next mayor of New York City is not just a happy face, not just a good looking <laughs> man in good shape. He actually has dissected social things, health issues and everything. And has from his education of learning with foundation now has a real direct policy to make this city part of a healthy city functioning,
2: raising healthy children and families. That's what this is about. I don't want Jordan, my son, growing up in the city that I grew up in where it was crime. We lived in these silos and didn't know each other. Where we had an educational system that wasn't functioning. We have a ninety-two billion dollar budget. We're spending three times the rate of inflation. In twenty twenty-one, we're predicted predicted to have a three point two billion dollar deficit. We
0: have to do better yeah. without, in the city. We have to do better. Oh, I got—I got. I got money in when this you city. become mayor, I got a little knife for you to cut away <laughs> a lot of that fat. But one of the things that was when I went to see Eric at one of his fundraisers a couple of years ago, I think I was actually running for mayor. I don't even remember. <laughs> it was such a flash in the pants. Uh, I walked down where we had in that restaurant. We had a fundraiser, with, and it was around Halloween. I think it was on Halloween. And I walked up the street. The greatest sight in the world was brownstones. One brownstone here white kids coming out with trick-or-treat costumes on. Next one, black kids coming out. White kids, black kids. The, the, and I never saw that in that area. Mm. My recommend, my re- reconciliation, reconciliation, my, my memory for that area. We used to have shootings on that block all the time. <laughs> right. And then to see <laughs> these kids come out there trick-or-treating together, I says, wow, yes. that is yes. what the New York that I want to see. And that's the, and
2: Brooklyn is like that. 47% of Brooklynites speak a language other than English at home. And what's fascinating is my campaign. How you, how you define a campaign, unfortunately, is how much money you raise. That's what people look at. That sucks. It, it really does. I'm the only candidate that is saying, let's take... That out of politics altogether. But nonetheless, I, I have to go with the rules. Mm-hmm. When they do an analysis.
0: Yeah, if you don't raise enough money, he can't even get in the friggin' right. debate. Right. And we, we outraised everyone. We went everyone. through that,
2: remember? We outraised
0: everyone in the field. They had to we put me in more. the debate because I raised the second amount of much money <laughs> next to Big Bird. And they had to put me in the debate. They yeah. didn't want me in the debate, but you gotta put Bo in there. Right. They say, oh, this <laughs> psycho pit, we need him in the debate.
2: Yeah, so we outraised everyone. But what's fascinating is, Bo, when people look at my donors, they look at the number of Koreans, Chinese, African-American, Caribbean-American, people from uh, Sephardic community, people from Uzbekistan, Russian-speaking community. I'm the United Nations candidate. And it's reflected on my message. I have people donating $5 and $5,100. The wide gap and the wide breadth of the ethnicity and gender and diversity is a reflection that all over the city, people are hearing something and they're saying there's something different about this guy. He should be the person that's going to lead our city in 2021. Well, let
0: me tell you something, Eric. We're winding down right now, but I really, really want to thank you for coming on the show. But... More so than that, I want our people who are out there listening, I, I, I beg you, send five, ten dollars. Help make this gentleman that I know a long time, our next mayor of New Yorkers. I have a business here. I live here. Mm. I ain't going nowhere. I want this city to be better. And this is the best candidate. To look at the other candidates, They're all in the pocket of somebody. My last debate with de Blasio on Channel 2 with my friend Maurice Dubois was was a moderator. I know Maurice. And he lived in the same building with me. And when I said to the mayor, I said, you know, Mr. Mayor, I know a criminal. I've been a detective my whole life and I know a criminal when I see one. And you're a criminal when you pay for playing your corruption. How much money do I have to give you to get something done in the city? I said it all. I said it all. But the point I'm trying to get at is this is you're what we need Mm. and I'm at your side. Anything I could do for you It's people powered. What's is. that?
1: People power. Well,
0: is. let's see Where can we, where can people send some money to you? If, 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 are we allowed to say donations? Oh, this is your ah, podcast. Ah, sure. It's my this podcast. Is one, this
2: is One, 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 one Tough, tough podcast. podcast. No, no. Hold
0: on a second. <laughs> I am asking all my listeners that love One Tough Podcast, help me help. Eric to become the next mayor of this city. And believe me, he ain't going to be no Big Bird. He's going to be Eric Adams, the man who cares about New York City. Where can they send contributions? Uh, eight to one matching funds
2: if they send it what to... What is that again? Eight
0: well, to one. Every every dollar... Eight to they, one matching... No, but that's not what you said.
2: Yeah, for every dollar they contribute, we would get $8. So Okay, where do they send it they, to? Could send it they could go online and send it to Eric Adams... 2021.com, dot com. Eric Adams twenty twenty one dot com and just make your contribution online. You could do a reoccurrence contribution, whatever whichever way they desire, but that is how we're going to move this city forward. Uh, I,
0: I I I implore, implore my friends out there who listen, love the podcast. This is one guy. You will not see another candidate for mayor of New York City on this show, because they all suck except for my friend. Eric Adams, and you will be a great mayor in this city. And I hope that you invite me to the inauguration because I will be there. And like I told you. One lady I'm going to kiss on the cheek, that's your mother. Because now I realized the power behind Eric was mom. Yes, no And We all love doubt. our mothers. Without and doubt. Uh, we do something on every one of our podcasts, mm-hmm. and it's called Punk of the Week. Now, it doesn't mean it's a person. It could be something that really this week really got under your skin, really bothers you. And I'd like to know what's bothering you this week, Eric.
2: Oh, the uh, the, 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 the rats conversation. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah they were attacking you because the poor, <laughs> you hear this? They went after Eric about the frigging rats. He's being inhumane to friggin' rats that bite you, give you a bubonic flu of, uh, what's that stuff called? Bubonic plague. That one too. They got plagues and flus. And they're worried about a friggin' rat. Eric has an idea. So the rats don't run and bite little kids. And they, they're they going after him saying he's he's unjustly killing the poor little ratties. You know, I don't see people don't
2: realize how traumatizing it is. I, there's a story I remember as a child before you guys go off. Um, we had a woman scream next door in our tenement Dad ran out, we thought it was a burglar. What happened was a rat crawled into the crib of the child, six months old baby, and she, the baby had dry milk and it gnawed at her. Oh my lip, God. Right. And my friend, he was a little, my next door neighbor grew up, and he would always have that piece of lip missing. When wow. people think about rodents, they don't understand that there are some communities that are traumatized. Babies are being bitten. Uh, families don't want to go in their own homes. You know, it, it's, it's, it's traumatizing. And so when people say they want to put rats in front of children, I'm not going to
0: do that. Uh, well, you know, and you stand by and I stand by. And the asshole that wrote that negative thing against you from Bo kiss my ass. Carlo,
1: what's bothering you this week? I had a rat run across my foot and was waiting for the subway the other day. It was gross. Mm. Yeah. But my punk of the week, we brought up earlier diabetes. Uh, As you know, in May, I ran the Brooklyn Half Marathon. I raised some money for Diabetes Foundation. And I'm going to do it again in October. Uh, Staten Island Half Marathon, I'm going to put up a link. Uh, not today, because we're going to put the donations towards Eric's campaign, but I'll put out another link so we can uh, get some money to the Diabetes Foundation.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I contributed, of course, to my brother there. It but the thing been. is, my punk of the week is going to be something that we've spoke about, that this city is too important, too important, and to let negativity control our pathway. Our success has to be with someone who has a vision, who is from New York, who's lived New York their whole life, believes in New York. And will you come to Yankee Stadium when we're winning the World Series, Eric? Or will you you go to Boston Red Sox? We
2: can't have another Boston fan. (laughs) <laughs> be in City Hall <laughs> <And> no
0: way <laughs> on that note Eric I want to
1: thank you very much and remember listeners again you can send contributions so too we'll put out a link but ericadams2021.com yes and uh, you can follow us on social media we'll put everything on there One Tough Podcast on Twitter is at Bo Dietl on Twitter any questions comments and Anything you'd like us to know, you can always email one tough podcast at gmail.com. We read every email. We'll keep our great guests coming. Thank you very much for Eric thank and you to be Mr. here. Mr. Mayor, thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next week.
0: industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.